A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Prologue Praia, Cape Verde, 2039 Even the heat was wonderful, delirious. Laurent normally hated the heat. Brisk winds, mountains, snow, these things he knew, and these things felt natural like home. But now, as an attendant wheeled him out of the hospital into the summer air of Praia, he felt the damp swelter roll over his flesh, and for a moment, the sensation consumed him. There will be a storm today, he suddenly thought, and while this was never a bad bet to make in a Cape Verde August, the sureness was a surprise, but totally without doubt. It was as though the water droplets above were pulsing the message into his body. Laurent was no stranger to sensual pleasures. He indulged in the vividness of drugs and the ecstasy of attentive female touch habitually and without embarrassment. This had some of those qualities, but with no vulnerability. It was pure knowledge as a form of exhilaration complete with the rush of mastery. Already he knew that he had got more than his money's worth. His security detail made a corridor of men leading to his car. He rose from the wheelchair unsteadily, muscles weak from two weeks' convalescence. He felt like half himself in this famished body. He brushed off the attendants and took just one moment more to bask in the air. The equatorial fire, the blazing sun, clashed with the chill waters of the Atlantic all over this little African island, making breezes or storms as the day warranted, but never ceasing. Nature is churn, Laurent thought. Nature is perpetual warfare. This was consistent with what he knew of life and how to stake a place in it. He settled into the back of his car and his driver greeted him with some sing-songy creole half-gibberish. Laurent closed the shutter at once and turned his attention to Quan as the car began to hum through the capital streets towards his hotel. She waited silently, giving him a moment to collect himself. Water, he said finally. She grabbed a glass from the service and poured it half full. Full, Laurent croaked with vehemence. Hang social custom. We're alone here. She filled the glass on Laurent drank. The water was chilled and clean and now tasted better than a five-star meal. He breathed deeply between each sip, luxuriating. You'll acclimate to the sensory enhancement, Quan said in her usual even tone after he swallowed. She took the glass back and ran a finger around the bottom stealing a last droplet to lick. I hope so, Laurent answered. I can hardly think. Quan snorted with the insouciance she had earned from years of discreet service. You're thinking more than ever. That's the point. She pushed up her sleeves and reached out to examine the bandage on his head. Laurent flinched. It seemed like no matter how long she'd assisted him, how much he paid her, he still had this instinct that her hands were dirty. But, 
he submitted to her scrutiny. He wouldn't admit it to her, but he got a private thrill from the lack of awe with which Quan treated him. It was like having a low-dose dominatrix for daily use. She lifted the bandage and saw the remnants of the surgery. He would get a hair graft as soon as possible, but for now, he bore the telltale equal sign wound, two parallel incisions above his forehead. These look good, she said. Good docs here. The best, Laurent insisted. Just like you. She shrugged and pulled a jack pad from her satchel. Its screen flashed on and she danced her fingers over it, searching for signs that it recognized the tiny device now embedded in Laurent's brain tissue. She frowned her most natural expression. She was a genius, and like most valuable geniuses, she lived to push the limits of conformity. More exciting problems existed on the outside, which was why she was now accessing the beetle, the slang name for the implant which had been banned in all but a few nations, in order to install patches and upgrades that were banned everywhere. The early versions of the beetle had been designed to stabilize seizures before they could begin, to treat sleep disorders, to ward off dementia. It did all these things well, but it could do other things too. Her jackpad was custom, clean, and stripped of everything that could connect to the R-Web. Unlike most devices on the planet, it could not talk to satellites, nodes, or other devices. The only device it could communicate with was the one that had just switched on in Lorenz's head. If rumor were believed, his life could depend on this. The car lurched in traffic. Outside, a crowd of child beggars had materialized around them, tapping on the windows, the press of their bodies rocking the car on its shocks. Laurent couldn't hear them through the car's heavy security windows, but their lips moved, and he could imagine their weary monotone pleading. He snorted with impatience. Patience had not been a virtue of his before, and he suspected that it was going to be even less of one now that he could access more of his mind's power. They have no respect, he complained, coming to us like that. They respect that you're rich. I mean self-respect. This whole nation would be underwater if it weren't for us. And how do they respond to being saved? Dependents. Like stray dogs, begging because they've forgotten how to hunt. Quan smirked as she looked up from the jackpad. You've never hunted in your life. This wasn't all true. He hunted every day. Hunted for opportunities. Hunted for advantage. Hunted to grow his wealth. He knew he had a fighting chance to become one of the thousand richest men in the world. Already, he had a true nine nano portfolio, making him richer every second of the day. Quan had helped build the algorithms that made it return more than almost any of the other true nines out there, which really earn more like true sixes these days, with more and more people crowding into that market sector. He might soon have the wealth to invest in true 12 access. Even a trained donkey could make the initial price back in only a few years with that kind of market speed. But if you wanted to get ahead, you had to exploit every possible advantage. In his mind, 
Beatles were the same as buying into True 12 access, but there were whispers even among his peers. In the private chambers at their economic forums, after the meals where they decided which nations presented the best opportunities, that there might be something different about Beatles, something dangerous. But whispers were nothing. The study said that Beatles were safe. The fear, Laurent knew, was that even among the people most gifted at skewing systems to their benefit, the idea of skewing themselves, of tinkering within their own minds, causing them to quail. It was natural. It was human. And it was a chance for Laurent to put himself beyond them. Australia was about to pass new laws. Laurent knew the people that had helped write them, who had maneuvered the politicians into place who had passed them. These laws would commit a whole continent to a desalinization effort of an unprecedented scale, disrupting the water economy for the whole planet. There was money to be made at every level in a thousand different sectors. Laurent was decisive, nimble, and brilliant. Although his middle-aged belly sagged from plenty, in the worldwide dance of currency, he was a martial artist. But for a moment, with this kind of potential, he needed to be more insightful, more calculating, more responsive to the cascading interplay of transactions and influence. He needed to be more himself. That was the power of the beetle, and it was worth this little medical vacation. Quan read the movement of his lips and poured him another glass of water, full this time. She said something in Chinese as she handed it to him. What was that? Laurent asked, surprised at the idleness in his voice from the pleasurable haze of being quenched. Confucius, Quan answered. The chase of gain is rich in hate. Something a communist would believe, Laurent spoke automatically, with a drowsy version of the same superior smile with which he'd answered so many naive doubters and other prisoners of that peasant mentality. He knew Quan was only teasing him. She found gain plenty appealing in her own way. He was drifting into sleep, even with the pounding hands of children and the new droplets of rainwater pattering on the car's roof. Quan shook him awake as they neared the hotel. Laurent cursed, losing even those few minutes. Already he could feel his mind going to work, creating the strategies, contingencies, and combinations of financial maneuvers and personal manipulations that could increase his success tenfold. This was playing the field of the future, where the planet's true elite could leave ordinary struggles beneath them and engage in new titanic contests whose complexity would never be understood by the masses. Laurent was ready to be among them. Quan, he asked, There's a patch that lets me sleep less, correct? They're out there, she answered. Forums say that they do some of the scrubbing dreams do, only in half the time. I haven't checked the code myself. It could make you wackadoodle. Laurent grinned. Her personal pride served him well. He imagined what he could accomplish with four more hours every day to work. Who needs dreams? He was manifesting his in reality. 
The hotel was the oldest and most luxurious still standing in Cape Verde. It sat right up against the ocean levee, built 15 years ago, and was in many ways symbolic. If there had not been a reason for people with money to come to Cape Verde, there would have been no cause to spend money protecting it from the ocean. This truth, that money and nature were identical and inseparable in their power and movements, was so obvious to Laurent, and yet the upheaval it had caused here demonstrated that many people still had no sense of history. Laurent was already dreaming of five-star room service, and, finally feeling some puckish verve, smirked at Quan. Care to come upstairs? Piss off, old man, she answered. Laurent caught something in that moment, a glint in her eyes, something behind the defiant humor of the reply. She always rejected his come-ons, which he saw as neither personal nor entirely serious. He had always assumed that she knew these were ground rules and played along accordingly. But now he detected something else. Real injury. Was Quan, his personal super-hacker, betraying genuine emotions? It wasn't like her. It had to be his new perceptions manifesting themselves. Still, whatever her private struggles, she kept her show of composure, so Laurent didn't let on that anything had happened. I know you better now, he thought to himself as a hotel worker opened his car door, which means I can use you better. Laurent's stride gained strength as he crossed the lobby's fine scarlet carpet towards the elevators. He wondered if his newly empowered brain would be more sensitive to the autonomic messages of his body, swifter to dispatch aid and heal. Perhaps Quan could even create a patch that could help him get into shape. He chuckled at the fantasy as he stepped into the elevator. Alone, he pushed the penthouse button and used his thumbprint to unlock access. The elevator greeted him by name in the same Creole accent of that driver, only far more polite. Laurent breathed deeply and relaxed. He felt a funny tap, like someone had flicked their finger against his forehead. And suddenly, the world slowed to almost complete stillness. He was able to think of a great deal in only a few seconds. He felt his legs switch off. No, that wasn't right. They had simply gone silent to his perceptions. His body began to slump. He was heading for the floor, only it didn't feel like falling. The floor of the elevator was moving towards his face, gently, in a kind and gradual curve. He felt a single heartbeat, magnified at this speed, thrump like a cold explosion in his chest, and a fascinating tingle surged through his arm. Why was the whole process so vividly interesting? You are dying, Laurent realized. He was dying very quickly, but had the perception to really take it in as he never would have before. A pulse not his own was cascading through his brain, he could feel it tearing away his thoughts like a tidal wave. The beetle is killing me. The realization came in a moment because Laurent was so very intelligent now. 
nearly as quickly he guessed that there would be no record of his surgery and that a death that appeared as natural as this would prompt no investigation. He had just enough time to appreciate how well he had been murdered. He had been wrong about the danger. That was obvious. Was this Quan? Despite his new understanding of the way she hated his flirtations, they weren't cause for murder. Someone else then? Someone seeking an advantage? A rival? A successor? Just an investor keenly positioned to exploit chaos? Arendt saw his death as a seismic event in the great fabric of money. The loss of his personal authority, the dispersal of his assets and duties, the bets that would be made for and against a future in which he did not participate. They painted the most profound and beautiful sight he had ever seen. And in it, he found truth. He saw the chess piece that had pulled itself in striking position. He saw the cause and effect, the reason why this was the most perfect moment for him to die. He knew who had killed him. The chase of gain is rich in hate. His head hit the carpet. His eyes drifted. The elevator welcomed him to the penthouse. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com. Mm-hmm.